couple of weeks ago in the Apprentice series, we did two weeks of discovering our identity and calling and our journey of becoming like Jesus, how important it is to discover our identity and calling. And we heard that if we follow this journey, that it is a journey that we get to land in a place like we're celebrating today with John Smith and his 90th birthday of the afterglow of a life well lived. And we heard as well that the most important part of discovering our identity is realizing that we are loved by God and that as Christians, we are reborn into a new identity in Christ. That is where we find our identity, that it is in Christ, it's rooted in heaven and that it's rooted in the future. And today I'm just going to close us out on this topic uh, around looking at an inner journey of becoming like Jesus. I start with a quote from John Calvin that goes like this. There is no deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of self and no deep knowing of self without a deep knowing of God. And from David Benner, Christian spirituality has a great deal to do with the self, not just with God. The goal of the spiritual journey is the transformation of self. This requires knowing both ourself and God. Both are necessary if we are to discover our true identity as those who are in Christ because the self is where we meet God. Both are also necessary if we are to live out the uniqueness of our vocation. We can't get very far down the transformation of ourselves and becoming like Christ unless we know who we are and the journey that we need to take. Because our identity and our calling isn't something we create, but it's something that we receive from the Creator. It's not something that we need to make up or figure, it's just something that we need to discover. We often speak about successful people as being self-made, but really as Christians, uh, we learn that who we really are is not an accomplishment that we brag about on earth, but it's a gift that we receive from heaven. Will you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4 or follow along in the Bible app? There's a link in the events category in the Bible app where you can follow along with us today. Matthew 4 verses 18 to 21. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. This word to call, that he is calling them and telling them to follow him, it's not just uh, to beckon, but actually to call into a vocation, a calling, as we would use that word. It's the same root word for call and vocation that is used here. And we hear a little bit later on in Matthew, if you'll turn to chapter 9 from verse from verse 9 in chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
And so our starting point for today is who does Jesus call? Who is it that Jesus calls? In this verse, we see that he says he does not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. And so sin is our starting point. Sin is not a word that we, sinners is not a word that we commonly use today. And in fact, it's not even a word that's commonly used in the New Testament, but it's used about this story uh, three times here. And every time that this story is told, we refer to sinners. And you notice that this is in the Gospel of Matthew, but it's referring to Matthew as a sinner. And so Matthew, who is being called a sinner and at whose house Jesus is eating, is the very same Matthew who writes this Gospel. And you can imagine that it's quite a journey for him that he must go on as he started being called by Jesus. And the journey of following Jesus is obviously a journey of tremendous transformation for Matthew as he learns how to step away from the old self and the the person that he's living as into the true person that Jesus would have us to be. And so we find here that following Jesus has an outer journey, a a vocation, perhaps something that we would find out our skill set and our gifting and follow Jesus in that way. But also there's an inner journey to following Jesus. And that is a journey of of discovering the sin in our lives and and who we are in our past and who we're living at at the moment and living into, but actually changing from that and who are we meant to be and letting go of various sins of our lives. The first thing that we come up against in our inner journey is this sin. Sin perhaps is a loaded word for you. It's a loaded word for many people. I know when I speak to people, particularly outside of the church environment that they would not uh, agree with the concept of original sin and that we're born sinful, that we would tend to want to believe in society today that we're good people living good lives and trying our best to do good things. And therefore, we're shocked in the news when we hear the statistics of of abuse and, and inequality and death and how people are being mistreated and the selfishness that's going out. And we we're shocked by it because we assume that people are good people. But actually, I think all of us know the inner struggle, um, the ancient dilemma as as worded by the Apostle Paul, where he says, I don't do what I want to do, and I do do what I don't want to do. And I'd add to that, that even when I do do what I do want to do, I'm doing it with the wrong motives most of the time. And so there's this this journey and this the struggle that goes on inside of us that, that we're, we're inclined towards sins, our our old lives, our old ways. We're just born with this inclination away from Jesus and this temptation and this draw to be our own gods. So where does sin come from? Where did it originate from? Uh, The Bible tells us in Genesis that right in the Garden of Eden, that very, the very first humans to live, that there was this moment where they had to choose whether to trust God or whether to take upon themselves the ability to judge good and evil. And that they chose to take it on themselves. They chose that they would be the ones in the know, that they would be the ones able to define good and evil. And ever since then, that is where our sin comes from, that we just have this desire to define it for ourselves. We just don't think, we don't trust God enough, and we don't think that he has the right to define good and evil. We think that we should do it ourselves. Uh, We want to hold up everything to our own light and and measure it ourselves. Haven't you ever experienced this where someone says, oh, look what this 
access and you say, no, I need to see it for myself. And you want to look with your own eyes, even if your eyes are, are failing and going bad, you rather trust yourself to judge what is going on than anybody else, even somebody with better eyes, or in this case, even a God with a better view on what is right and wrong, the God who knows it all. And yet we would want to be the ones who would judge and we end up following our own compass in this world and in the Garden of Eden that led them into exile from the garden and eventually to death. And it does the same for us. Sin causes a disturbance of our peace, a disturbance of our shalom, which is more than just our peace. It's our health and our well-being. Sin is those fixations that we have where we're fixated on another source. We're fixated on something that causes a blockage between us and God because he's no longer the source of our life and his love is no longer what we look to to flow into our lives and really that's where our life should be coming from and where true life comes from but sin are those things that we find instead of God and we take hold of them and they cause a, a blockage and much the same way as if I have an argument with Rich and it will cause emotional and mental and, and spiritual distance in our relationship. Sin is a relational blockage between us and God and it, it is an obstacle. Jesus compares sin to an illness that we need to be healed from. He says uh, in the scripture that we read it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick I have not come to call the righteous but sinners in fact the word to be saved is the same word as healed that is translated in the Bible it's the same word saved and healed that he would heal us from the illness of sin from the sickness and disease of sin that's where the word salvation comes from solve as a solve something that will heal us and so at some point in our journey with Jesus, we need to go head to head with our sin because sin is not only our starting point, sin is our sticking point. And sin is not just our behaviors, is it? That as we start to follow Jesus, we'll discover that there are layers to our sin. It's not just behavioral, but there are, are different layers and there needs to be a purging that needs to be done. There are things that need to be gotten rid of as we follow Jesus. Uh, the ancient church looked at it like this, that there were four stages of purgation or of purging yourself from sin. And the number one is gross sins. And those would be sins that pretty much in society we would all accept as sins, uh, whether we're Jesus followers or not. Uh, sins like murder and theft and idolatry and adultery, fairly obvious sins. So that would be the first layer that we'd want to get rid of uh, in following Jesus. And then the second would be deliberate sins. sins that are not gross sins, perhaps they are more commonly accepted, but we know they're sins and we do them intentionally, uh, but we're, we're okay with them in the world and sometimes even in the church. Perhaps things like lockdown laws and thinking, oh, I know it's wrong, we are supposed to be following our government and we were supposed to be following our laws, but honestly, what is the harm in taking a walk on the beach or what is the harm in, in having a brow with my friends? We'll make sure to be careful. And so the deliberate sins that we, we decide that we're going to be okay with them, perhaps materialism or um, the way we speak to people and we, we know it's not right, but we, we just 
do it anyway. So those deliberate sins. And then uh, the third layer is unconscious sins. This is a difficult layer to get to because these are your blind spots. They're more internal than external. They're more relational than behavioral. It's Perhaps we're not doing the gross sin of murder or the deliberate sin of yelling at somebody, but there's this unconscious sin where we now are behaving correctly, but there is this contempt or perhaps the superiority and anger inside against another person. These would be sins of omission, perhaps more than commission. To omit to do something is to fail to do what is right, whereas commit is to do what is wrong. And so perhaps in these unconscious, we're failing to do the things that we know we really should be doing. Uh, This could be our motives. And so it's really about even doing the right things for the wrong reasons. And then if you think that you're doing okay, if you happen to be doing okay, we get right down to the fourth layer and really start to look at what's deep inside. And the fourth layer, they would say, would be our trust structures. And this is when we're looking at the deep inner structures where we really rely on ourselves in places where we should be relying on God for our well-being. Perhaps these are our emotional coping mechanisms. Perhaps we would uh, lean on food or travel or work or uh, our looks or whatever it may be to get our our joy from or our well-being, our contentment, our sense of security. We would look to these things to make us feel safe and really they're things that we get our contentment from or our security from, our joy from that do not go by the name of Jesus. So the first two layers are more behavioral. So Pharisees and people that have been around in church for a long time are are a danger of falling into this category where we're really well behaved. And yet there are deep things going on in our lives that are perhaps still needing to be dug into. Uh, Jesus seemed more bothered uh, in, in many of the stories and perhaps this is just my viewpoint but Jesus seemed more bothered by self-righteousness than he was by lousy behavior and obviously lousy behavior is is not okay and those are, are, are steps that we need to be taking but he seemed really bothered by when we learned to behave well but we were still struggling with our motivations and with those unconscious things those blind spots that self-righteousness and perhaps because it's such a dangerous place to be and he knew that as when we followed him or when we followed religion, it was so easy to land in this place and really to get stuck there, to get stuck in self-righteousness where we are behaving well, but our motivations do not line up with the love and the pure motivations that Jesus would introduce us to. So when we start to deal with the first two, we really do fall prey to the possibility of self-righteousness. It's a great place to lurk if we're getting our identity from the approval of others. We just hang out there. People think I'm good. People think I'm doing well. And here my identity is secure without digging too deeply into what's going on beneath the surface and my blind spots. Uh, Pete Scazzero in his book, Books on Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, would say this about Your shadow is the accumulation of untamed emotions, less than pure motives and thoughts that, while largely unconscious, strongly influence and shape your behaviors. It is the damaged but mostly hidden version of who you are. 
You see, we all have a light to offer to this world, our, our strengths and our skills and things that are beautiful, the part that we're meant to add to this world. But often those, that very light is what has a shadow or what casts a shadow that where there is light, the, shadow, the shadows are lurking behind. And so I'll give you an example of the light side and the shadow side. For me, I'm, I'm an enthusiast. I love things to be happy and exciting and I would add that to the world. I'd want people to be happy and to see the bright side of things but then the shadow of that very strength would be that I don't like negative emotions and I want to intellectualize them and and push them aside and I don't like to deal with pain I want to run away from it and ignore it and pretend that it doesn't exist or perhaps uh, people who are perfectionist and um, I know that word is often negative but in a good way that they're reformers and they want to bring right into society they value laws <laughs> unlike uh, many, many of us in this difficult lockdown season they really want to value laws and they want to uh, lift them up and they want to follow them and they want to keep society to a higher standard and that is a beautiful thing that reformers would have but then the negative, the shadow side of that could be that they have that self-righteous possibilities and and criticism and superiority and perhaps be a bit condescending and so we have these things in our personality, this, this behind side, this motivation side that we may have dealt with the first two layers, but as we follow Jesus, we really need to start to understand the unconscious things, the, the shadow sides. And so the trouble with blind spots is that they're hard to see. And so sin is our starting point, sin is our sticking point, and sin is hard to see as we continue along our journey. The human capacity for self is terrifying. If you're married, you're, you know that. If you're in any human relationship, you know that when you've had an argument and the person that you're talking to just doesn't see their their shadow side, their blind spot, but we can see it and vice versa them with us. And so how do we go about uh, in the last few minutes, how do we go about dealing with our our hidden sides, sides, our blind spots, digging a bit deeper as we follow Jesus and we don't want to be stuck in sin. And the first thing I would say using that relationship example is that number one, community, 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 that as we push into intimate community, like marriages and best friends and parents with children and just close relationships we get to deal with things like that and they come up to the fore and we get to help each other also as we put ourselves intentionally into the larger community of the church and those that are completely different from us so we have intimacy with those who are similar to us but also that we have community with those who are very different from us and we're sin is exposed as we realize we have prejudices and differences and things that we're we're completely different from other people by and so that would help us to expose our sin community and then suffering and trauma nothing gets down to the depth of our trust structures like going through a difficult trauma and when everything is stripped away and when we're when we're suffering badly when when we have nothing left to turn to and no one left to turn to and no more securities that God can reveal himself as as his 
as the, the real uh, bedrock that we can stand on and our f- foundation. And so community suffering, the Bible, the Bible says that it is a incredible tool of revealing to us a mirror that we're able to look and to see our true selves and our old selves. We can see both as we read the scripture and we can see that we are truly loved, but we can also see that there are things that in our lives that get exposed as we read the Bible. And so those three would be real, um, tools that I would want to leave in your hands to to dig into. And you might be asking as we bring this to a close, why look at sin? Why not just focus on God? We don't want to uh, be focused on our sin and looking at that. Surely if we're just following Jesus and yet we know that it is the, the things that we The things about ourselves that we refuse to acknowledge, that we refuse to take cognizance from, they are our hidden and secret enemies. They are the things that most tyrannize us and the things that have the most power over us. We need to know what it is that we're fighting against. We need to understand our hidden motivations and trust structures so that we can deal with those reflex behaviors that we have that hurt the people nearest to us that we love and that are hindering our journey of following Jesus. And, and walking into our identity and our calling. And so I would just like to close with the, the concept, the thought that our, as Christians, we're asked by Jesus to take up our cross and to follow him. And as Christians, that means that our, our following of him, our journey is one of regular deaths and regular resurrections, that as we peel off each layer, as we lay down our old selves and our old personalities and our old uh, motivations and personas and masks that we hold up before other people, as we dig into those things and realize what it is we need to put down and put to death, that Jesus promises that as we do that, as we let go of the fixations that sin causes us to hold on to that are not of God, that we get to take hold of the life of God, the love of God and our identities in God and that there is a life flow from him to us, a resurrection of us into our new selves and into our true selves as we follow Jesus in this inner journey. If you have been listening and uh, you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, I would love to pray with you. If you would like to start this inner journey, that you would like to, to accept the new life that God has for you, that you would like to lay down your old life and take hold of Jesus as he would lead you. I would love to pray with you if you would like to become a Christian today. So if you're watching on anthemchurch.tv, you can just click uh, the button that says that you would like to make this decision and I'll pray with you now. Jesus, I thank you for those who would choose to follow you, who would choose to to lay down their old lives, that they would choose to accept the death of that for the sake of the resurrection of life with you, God, and that you would pour your life into them and that they would follow on with you now. And then for the rest of us, God, we pray just that you would help us to go on this journey, that you would help us to dig deep into those blind spots, those hidden things, those trust structures, and those unconscious sins, and that you would take us on this journey of becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more like our true selves as we follow you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.